For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Sir Robert Baseball. All right. It's not Bobby Baseball. That's for the peasants. All right. Sir, Sir Robert, Robert, Robert Baseball. Baseball. And I'm not even sure if it's third of his name. Robert. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead. And joining me as always, a man who has all the athleticism of the average semi professional bowler, my brother Mike. Hey, everybody. I'm like Roy Munson from that movie Kingpin, <laughs> an all time classic. I'm, I'm, I'm him after he loses his hand. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's the athleticism you have. Any sport that you could where you can eat and dr- get drunk while doing it. I feel like that's your wheelhouse. Yep. The golf, uh, bowling. Uh, if you want to consider playing gambling, you know, gambling cards. <laughs> if you consider that a sport, a sport that's, that's maybe, maybe competitive eating. I don't know if you'd have nah, any shot. Not really. That's, that's not my, no, you know, they I like seem like eat. they're working too hard up there. Yeah. Uh, they, they, those guys are really trained athletes. I'm not in that category, but uh, yeah. On this episode of Royals Weekly, we'll review a week's worth of spring training games, discuss who we think are shining and disappointing in this year's camp and give our opening day roster prediction. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right to it. The Royals are five and three since our last recording. Not that it matters at all. These are all spring training games. It's all for charity, folks. They don't give charity. (laughs) We'll save talking about individual players for our spotlight segment. But Mike, what are some of the major themes you're noticing in spring training so far? Well, one of the big things, themes for me has been excitement, both good and bad. Like I'm really excited about all the young hitters that are coming up and and they've kind of uh, fulfilled some of that expectation that I have. But then I was also excited to see the development of some of the pitching, and that's kind of let me down a little bit. There's also been some some things, really just the pitching overall has kind of been like, oh, man, we're not doing so great. Um, but, you know, it's it's spring training, and sometimes they're trying to throw pitches that they haven't thrown in competition a whole lot and things like that. So it's been exciting. Been a lot of stuff going on, but uh, some good and some not so good. And Carlos Santana is still on the team, and that's weird. Yeah, I, I, I think the pitching point is very, very acute. That's the thing I'm paying the most attention to right now. And I think right now the Royals are looking for some consistency among those presumed starters. They're, they're asking themselves, who's that starting five or starting six if they choose to go with a six-man rotation? Who are those guys going to be for them? You would think that there are some locks, and we'll talk about that in the future. But so far, you see just flashes of good things from guys and then some flashes of really bad things. So I think specifically about Kowar, you see some good moments where that, you know, changeup is being located really well, where he's got a good pit, new pitch mix going. That's not really leaning so heavily on his fastball. And then you see a moment where it looks like he maybe melts a little bit under pressure. A couple of things don't go his way and it looks bad, but overall I would say like, I'm at least encouraged by what I'm seeing from some of the starters out there. And so that's good. You could say the exact same thing about singer and Carlos Hernandez. Both of them had very uneven appearances this week where one inning they look as good as they can look and another time they look just like everything's falling apart. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking for more of that as well. And not just from those starting guys, 
a lot of those bullpen guys have looked the same way. One time they'll go out there and they'll look okay. Another time, like Stalmont, Stalmont, same thing happened to him. Today he looked really bad, uh, where in the past he's had an outing that was okay. It's like, okay, what are we getting here? And maybe this is bound to be the case with the shortened spring training, the shortened time to get prepared and things like that before games started and things like that. They're probably going to look a little behind and they do look a little behind. They'll definitely look a little behind the hitters right now. The Royals lineup is actually looking pretty dangerous, looking like you could actually score some runs as they sort of continually hit. Bobby Witt Jr. is hitting and Nicky Lopez is hitting a little bit. Um, just everybody's kind of Ryan O'Hearn is hitting Ryan O'Hearn, who is, <laughs> as we know, the cornerstone of this team is really crazy. Rushing. spring training O'Hearn right back to to where he is cactus league MVP every season and so yeah Ryan O'Hearn's crushing but really the lineup is kind of looking pretty dangerous top to bottom Whit Merrifield is hitting very well so far up to, so far up to this point um, and so the lineup I think is looking pretty dangerous but the pitching really hasn't caught up yet and that's kind of to be expected Emmanuel Rivera also I want to throw that out there he's looked really good we're going to talk about him we'll think a little bit later but MJ Melendez has looked really good Nick Prado has looked solid striking out probably a little too much, but he's got six walks already, you know? So the young guys hitting wise are looking pretty solid. You, what you want to not see in spring training when you have a super, a set of superstars like that coming up. And we haven't even talked about Pasquantino is you don't want them to look overmatched. And there were times when we'd bring up guys into major league camp, like above a starling or like uh, even Alex Gordon in his first camps and go, wait, this guy's not ready. And it's very obvious um, that's not what's happening. And that's good. I think there are a few questions that sort of remain as before we get to opening day, opening day is only like two weeks away. And so there are a couple of questions still left to, to answer. My big one is where does Kyle Isbell fit within this team? It almost seems like he doesn't belong back in AAA. It seems like he definitely could contribute at the major league level, but you don't want to hold back his progression, his developing into a major league regular by having him sit four days a week. You want him getting every day at bats, but there really isn't a place in the outfield for him right now. So I think they're going to have to ask themselves and answer the question, what do we do with Kyle Isbell? Does he go on the opening day roster? Do we find a way to keep a rotation high and work him in? Or do we send him back to Omaha, let him get every day at bats until we find a way to get him into the lineup? Well, I think that's a great question. It's harder and harder to answer that now. Hit another home or hit a home run today, has four walks, has been doing pretty well. You feel like he plays a high level left field and probably a below average center field. Mm -hmm. And so that's not really what the, the, the Royals, you know, probably aren't going to play him a whole of a lot in center field. And so, and same with the Olivares. Olivares plays a worse level of outfield than he does. So you don't have a great candidate for a fourth outfielder because you want your fourth outfielder to be able to consistently play center field if he needs to. Well, I think with Isbell, the idea is that when they're in parks that aren't so huge, when they're in places that aren't Kaufman, he could probably play a fine center field. His he takes good routes. He's you know gets good jumps on the ball. His his biggest handicap is top end speed. And so if you're in a you know Great American Ballpark, if you're in a you know these places that are smaller, even Yankee Stadium and things like that, you have a chance where he can go out and probably play a, a fine center field for you. You don't want him patrolling Kaufman in center field too often just because he just doesn't have the range to cover a ton of space out there. Well, so you said, okay, you got to maybe they stash him in AAA until uh, they can find a spot for him. When will that be? I mean, how someone would have to get hurt, you know, but unless you think they're going to trade, unless you think they're going to trade Andrew Benintendi. You know, they could trade Andrew Benintendi sometime around mid-season. We said, we said they were, should have done last year, um, but, you know, 
we're not them. So yeah, I, I, I think this is a sticky situation for Kyle Isbell. I don't, uh, I don't envy his, uh, his kind of situation here because, you know, is he going to become the Edward Olivares of this year? Go back and forth. Who knows? I know they can only do it five times now, but you want to go five times back and forth, triple A to major league baseball. So I'd like to see him up there, but you know, that's me. I guess my biggest question is who's going to fill out the end of the rotation. We know that we feel like Granky and Keller and Singer are probably locks to be in the rotation. Well, that leaves you three or four guys. We're talking Hernandez, Bubich, Kowar, and Lynch who are left to fill that out. So you really have got four guys for two or possibly three spots. Um, that's what do they do there is my biggest question uh, going into opening day. Uh, I have the guys that I think are probably best prepared for that and who may, guys who may fit better in a relief role if they choose to go that route, or do you send them back to AAA uh, to, to get them starts? Those will be questions that they have to answer. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. The Royals have plenty of interesting storylines this spring. Bobby Witt Jr., the starting rotation, the young hitters, and many of the most interesting players on the team have put up loud performances so far. Mike, who has impressed you the most so far in camp? Um, I'm going to take the layup here and go with a new nickname that I've developed for him, Sir Robert Baseball. All right. It's not Bobby baseball. That's for the peasants. All right. Sir, Sir Robert, Robert baseball. baseball. I'm not even sure if it's third of his name. Robert. All right. But Sir Robert baseball, uh, Bobby Witt jr. 438 average. He's got an OPS of 1.313. That is crazy impressive. The only thing that kind of scares me, but also makes that number a little bit more impressive. He doesn't have any walks yet. And so he's doing all that with just batting average and straight, you know, what's it's in the, in the plum region. <laughs> right. Uh, the guy is fun to watch. He is so crazy fast. Uh, was it today or yesterday's game? I can't remember. He yesterday is. I don't think he played today. No, yeah, he didn't play at all today. So I was watching yesterday's game this morning. Um, he chased down a ball in left field from third base. He could have taken it just as easy as the left fielder did. And I'm like, man, this kid is so fast and fun to watch. I am a little bit, I think as he gets more used to playing regularly, I think the walk rate will go up. Um, right now, he's like a kid in a candy store every time he steps into the box. But uh, yeah, been really exciting to see him. Obviously, everybody's talking about that. So yeah, I find it interesting. They mentioned how off the charts his hand-eye coordination is, and you can see that when he's hitting. And what that actually does is it ends up decreasing walk rates because every time you swing, if you're if you're anywhere capable of getting your, your the bat to the ball, you put it in play a lot. Guys with great hand-eye coordination put the ball in play a lot. And as a result, they tend to not go as deep into counts and take fewer walks. Now, teams are going to start pitching around him more. They're going to be more careful with him over and over again. And that's when he's really going to have to learn to be patient and accept that walk, which we've seen him do in AA and AAA. His walk rates weren't terrible there. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens as he moves forward and they start treating him differently as the, the league starts trying to adjust to him. And then he has to adjust back to them. I think you'll start to see that walk rate go up. You're right, but it is so exciting to watch him play great athlete at third great athlete on the bases. He swiped a bag the other day. It wasn't even close. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of fun to watch him play and make such hard contact, man, he crushes the baseball. And so it'll, it'll be just a ton of fun to watch him from opening day all the way through the season. 
I've been really impressed. This is going to sound a little bit weird because he had numbers wise, not a great outing the other day, but I've been impressed with Jackson Kowar. His first outing was looked good on paper, but also to the eye. And that's what I'm really judging all this on. How do they look in spring training? The thing that's impressed me about Kowar is he's found a way to locate that change up, which I really, really like. He's throwing it early in counts. He's basically become a pitch backwards guy. He's leaning heavily. His pitch mix has changed. So he's not leaning so heavily on that fastball anymore. And he's leaning very heavily on the changeup, which is good. It's his best pitch lean on it. Right. And because he's doing that, his fastball doesn't get abused as much. And that's really important. I think for him, success is going to come down to a couple of things. One, not leaning so heavily on the fastball Two, commanding it really, really well. And then three, commanding that changeup really well, because he's going to need it early in counts and he's going to need this changeup in fastball counts to go over for strikes guys have been swinging and looking ridiculous against it, but it's easier if he leans more heavily on that, on that fastball. So hopefully he can keep up the command with the changeup and, and the fastball. I'm going to bring up something that I know we've mentioned here before, but kind of give you some praise years ago when he first became a prospect for us a couple of years ago, I should say um, you wrote an article, I think for Royals farm report, I'm not sure about Kowar and the fact that he was a short strider and he didn't get great extension on the fastball, which meant that his 97, 98 mile per hour fastball didn't play up to that level of velocity. Well, I know you read Alec Lewis's piece uh, on pitcher analysis and them meeting with pitchers at the end of last year in that he mentions that Kowar was going to try and work on striding out more when he throws this, when he pitches to make his extension better on his fastball. They specifically said that. And I go, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like maybe that could be kind of a game changer. So if he's changing up the pitch mix and the fastball is playing more like a 97 mile an hour fastball does, you're going to get good results. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do uh, with that too. Um, Some of it I think for him is going to be mental as well and confidence related, Um, but it'll be exciting to see what uh, they choose to do with him. Do they choose to... Um, give him one of those spots in the starting rotation or do they use him out of a bullpen type situation i don't know why they would send him back to omaha he really has crushed the the hitters down there enough to say i don't think he needs to go back there but who knows yeah i think that's a great point about sort of mentally there's a mental aspect to his game too that really doesn't get talked about enough but he does tend to have this uh issue with when something doesn't go his way things start to fall apart and so in his last start a bad defensive play, a bad yeah. pitch call where he should have thrown a changeup instead of a fastball was called and that sort of thing. And, and a couple like one leaks through a, a seeing eye single and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden things snowball on him, you know, and yeah. and it's those sorts of things that he's going to have to overcome. If his fastball command and changeup command can stay consistent, he'll be fine. But if it starts to get wild once guys are on base, once he starts like getting into trouble, it's not going to be good because then a two run inning, which is fine to live with, is going to turn into a five run inning. And that's what you cannot have at the major league level. Um, yeah, you, and I things- texted, you and I texted about that inning. Sorry, I wanted to throw this in there. For those of you who didn't see it, it was a high, high pop up into the triangle between center, left and short. And I think all of called it and he shouldn't have been the one that went after it. Well, it lands a guy gets a double on something that should have never been a hit in the first place. And right. then it turns into hit and walk and, you know, and that's like, wait, what's going on here. And then um, a, a later on in that, in that same inning, a, a ball gets sort of weakly hit, I think back to Kowar and he turns to third to get the force out at third. Nobody's covering third. So yeah. he just turns back to first. And that's a ball that really should have been a double play. If they had, everybody had been sort of aware of 
where everybody else was, he would have just turned to second and tried to get two from it. But because there was nobody covering third because of a shift and things like that, it all ended up not working out. He just gets one out there instead of the two he should have gotten. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where bad defense and sort of bad communication is hurting him early in camp. But I think he's really shown that he's made a lot of progress since his major league debut last year. One of the things I also want to consider as we see a ton of players playing all the time is who's really surprised you in camp. We've had a few guys sort of jump out with either impressive or sadly not impressive performances. Who's surprised you so far, Mike? Well, I'm going to talk about two quickly. Sadly, John Heasley, because I was, I'm a guy who after watching him last year was kind of high on John Heasley as a guy that might be able to be a four or five starter, or maybe a good uh, swing man for you in the bullpen. Um, But he has looked really bad. His locations looked bad this spring and he's getting roughed up uh he's only 6.2 innings pitched and seven earned runs I mean he's only got two strikeouts and he's got four walks um I was hoping to see a little bit better from him he saw an uptick in his velocity a little bit at the beginning of last year and we thought okay maybe this is a serviceable kind of guy um but right now he doesn't look like the good news is I guess for him is he's going to go back to triple a and he's because they had to they had to throw him last year in the majors uh, he got a handful of starts in the majors last year. So uh, he'll get to go back to AAA and really work on the things he needs to work on before he has any sort of permanent role uh, with the big league club. Now the, to the positive, Emmanuel Rivera, a guy who's extremely uh, easy to root for, um, had a hamate injury, I think, was it last year? Mm-hmm. Or my, yeah, last year. And uh, was coming out and had a few good games there. Then Blamo gets the injury. He's doing really well. He's hitting 294. Uh, he's got a home run, um, playing really good third base, which we kind of always knew he was going to do. I don't know that he fits really well in the infield right now because he doesn't have a lot of defensive versatility. But with the expanded roster, I think he, he has a chance to be on the club. So, Yeah, I like the way Emmanuel Rear has been playing. He's a guy who's easy to root for, not just because – he's not just easy to root for, but he's easy to overlook. We, I think people overlook him a lot in the Royal system as somebody who could be a serviceable, major, serviceable big leaguer. Uh, we'll see what it looks like for him uh, roster-wise. Rosters are crazy at the beginning of this season because they've expanded, but pitchers are so not stretched out. So we're going to see uh, – we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our uh, later segment. But um, I think we need to talk a little bit about those guys like Heasley who have sort of disappointed or maybe not lived up to expectations, or maybe we're just a little bit worried about. I think a guy I'm worried about, I was never really worried about Heasley because I don't expect him to make the team. Singer, Brady Singer is a guy I'm a little bit worried about because I'm also worried, I'm worried about him, but I'm also hopeful for him, right? In his two starts so far, we've seen his fastball command be very erratic, right? He came out against the Dodgers in that sort of prime time spring training game and First inning, his fastball was everywhere. He watched, he walked the first guy on five pitches, all fastballs, only one of them was a strike. And that was right down Broadway on 3-0. And so he looked like he could not control his fastball at all, at all in the first inning. Ends up giving up, I think, three runs in the first, and then comes back up for the second and his lights out. Spot in the fastball, slider looks great. I didn't see any changeups, but I wasn't, I didn't go back and look closely. Yeah, um, I know he had at least one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what was interesting to me about his first start is he threw a bunch of them and they were, they looked good. They, the, the results were good on that changeup. He wasn't going to it as much in, the, in that Dodgers game. And I'm like, is he scared to throw it? Because this is the Dodgers. Their lineup is really good. He can't be that way. He's got to throw the changeup. The fastball command is really important too, but he also has to throw that changeup. And the other thing that'll get you for these guys who are just trying to get comfortable with a new pitch, when things start to go wrong, they'll abandon it. They aren't Can't confident enough in it to, 
to use it when things get tough. So yeah, you really can't do that. And that's part of what spring training is for is getting comfortable enough with it, with it to throw it. Even when you're in trouble, he did throw a couple in that Dodgers game. Uh, one of them for sure that I remember was a really good pitch. He didn't get the call on it, but it was right there on the outside corner to a lefty. And I can't, might've been Max Muncy. I can't remember, but yeah, he he's one that kind of worries me and I'll, and always will until I see that uh, change up become more comfortable. Uh, the guy that for me that I'm a little worried about is Carlos Hernandez. And that's mostly because I've been driving the Carlos Hernandez bandwagon for a couple of years now. And I really like his stuff, but we saw him come out in the last game and, and not be able to, he could throw his uh, fastball for strikes, but it was getting way too much of the plate and guys were hammering him. And so even though he's got what I feel is really good stuff and maybe the best of any of those guys, he still has to be able to locate it. And there's still questions on, uh, you know, how deep he can pitch into games and things like that. But you can't have, and I've said this before, you can't be a team like the Royals, have an arm like that and not get something from it. And so he, I, I feel like they think, oh, well, he's a guy that can easily transition to a bullpen role. I don't want that for him. I want him in the starting rotation, but we'll see. See, to me, we should stop really thinking about bullpen versus starter. I think, I think that's like a, a, a dichotomy that doesn't make a ton of sense. And I think Chris Bubis showed us this last year when he was sort of moving back and forth between them, where he was being in the bullpen, but pitching multiple innings. Like we, that's how we should really think of, of, of a person's value. It's not like, are they in the bullpen? Are they in the starting rotation it's how many innings are they going to throw and i think if we could get something like 130 innings out of carlos hernandez i don't really care where he throws them from i don't yeah. it's same same with Bujas. i don't care where bubich throws his innings from give me 100 to 130 innings i'll be very happy of quality innings and i'll be very happy regardless of where you throw them but here's the thing for a team like the royals who does not tend to be on the cutting edge of progressive pitching thinking how how often are you going to be in the bullpen and pitch 130 innings right? Not very it's just often. not going to happen. So that's why I want to see him in a starting role. Cause I want him out there. I think he's, I'm a guy who believes in people that have stuff, you know, and that's what he has. So I'll lean on a guy like a Carlos Hernandez and give him a little bit longer to prove himself than I will some location lefty or something like that. All right, Mike, you're made GM of the Royals for a day. Actually, a for day. an hour, for an hour. They would never give it to you for the when whole day. When can I cash my first check? Uh, is the question. <laughs> that's the only gonna, question I have. They're going to what, what time is lunch? Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> is there some sort of weirdo drink minimum rule on that? And uh, and when can I cash my first check? And that's all they're going to give you sixty bucks and an Entenmann's. Okay, that's all you're getting. Uh, so you're G- made GM for an hour. You get to put one player on the opening day roster who you're afraid is not going to make it right now. Who are you putting on the roster? Nick Prado. And Why? it's simply for entertainment value. Um, I think he's. I think the the we haven't had a first baseman like Nick Prado maybe ever on the Royals, at least in my fandom. He is a guy that can hit the ball and a guy that can walk. And yes, he's going to strike out a little bit too much, but I don't need to see Carlos Santana playing first base. I don't need to see uh, Hunter Dozier or Ryan O'Hearn playing first base either. And, you know, so that's that's it. If you said, OK, what's 1A? I'd go with MJ Melendez. I don't think either one of those guys is going to make it out of camp, but uh, yeah, the, I, I want to see young guys that, that have some potential. That That is clearly the best version of their team. I mean, you watch these spring training games, what you're noticing is that when 
Prado, Melendez, Pascantino, when those guys get in the game, the Royals start winning and or come back. Like they're the ones hitting. They're the ones who are really sort of playing great. I mean, I guess Ryan O'Hearn is hitting, but we all we've all been there before. Right. Like and so, yeah, I, I think that would be a very interesting move. I think that's what everybody wants to see. My guy would be Kyle Isbell. I would get him on the roster, even if it means he has to be a rotation guy. I would make that just a heavy rotation. And so Isbell would play, would start in center in every away park. Isbell would start at Kaufman against all righties, you know? And so like to me, Michael A. Taylor would actually be the fourth outfielder in the situation maybe, or, you know, so, some sort of rotation where he's playing in left or right and that sort of thing in, in these advantageous situations. Maybe I would say like at Kaufman against right-handed pitchers, he's not going to start. Right. But then like, you know, at Kaufman against lefties, I'd be switching them in for maybe Merrifield gets a day off. Maybe Benintendi gets a day off. Maybe Michael A. Taylor gets a day off. He, he would be in heavy rotation to the point where he was going to get 500 plate appearances this year, no matter what happens. And so I think Kyle Isbell deserves to make this team. I think he's makes them a lot better. And I think if they are really interested in winning, they would actually make that move. Instead of previewing spring training games, we're going to give a little preview of how we think the opening day roster will look. Rosters are expanded to 28 players until May 1st to account for the short spring training. Most expect those spots to be taken by pitchers primarily, as most of the league's pitchers probably won't be entirely stretched out by then. We'll start by looking at the pitching staff in our preseason prediction and try and give a sense of how many pitchers there are going to be, how many position players are going to be, and who's actually going to make it and into those roles. As as of right now, we're predicting 15 pitchers, 15 of the 28 to be pitchers for the Royals this to start this season. Mike, give us a shot of who you think the starters are going to be or who we think the starters are going to be. Okay, right now, it seems like Granky, Keller, Singer, those are locks, and we've talked about that. Assuming, let's say, that they have six starting pitchers, we like Hernandez, Carlos Hernandez, Chris Bubich, and Daniel Lynch. Now, Lynch is the one that I'm kind of like, eh, a little iffy, wishy-washy on, I guess you would say. Um, especially since I think I've liked a little bit better how Kowar has looked over Lynch. And yeah, I don't know. I, I think Lynch, because he's been, uh, shown some propensity for getting hurt a little bit, maybe have him in AAA build up a little bit longer before you bring him up. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, that's what we think right now for the starters. Tell me what you think. I think it's well, first off, we need to say we're, we're predicting a six man rotation. And that's because not really necessary, just because they need to sort of protect guys arms. It's also because they just have so many guys who need places. And so we're predicting a six man rotation right now. And you're not going to see a ton of opening spots in the schedule in the beginning of the year, like you normally do. So pitching is just going to be a thing that needs to have, they're just going to need more pitchers and, and it might as well be what we quote call quote unquote starters. So I think they'll start with a six man rotation. Just throwing that out there. I have no inside information. It's just a guess. And so I've liked the way Bubich has looked a lot this spring. I think Hernandez and Lynch make that starting rotation on the back of what they did last year. I think a lot of the team's decisions are going to be, let's not pay too much attention to spring training. It's a weird one. We're just going to pay more attention to what guys did last year. And if you remember, Hernandez, Lynch, and Bubich were the three of the starters who had the more impressive last seasons. Kowar did not have an impressive season last year. And so I think they're going to say, we're going to roll with those guys to start. They're going to be our starters to, to begin the year. Out of the bullpen, Things are a little more complicated, a little more difficult to make those decisions. There are still some locks. Obviously, Scott Barlow is a lock to make the bullpen. He is their most valued, used, and trusted reliever, I think. Josh Stamont is probably a lock. He throws really, really hard, has great stuff, and has done well for them last year and before that. 
I think Dylan Coleman is also a lock. He's just got so much potential pitched well for him last year. His stuff is amazing. And so I'm going to call him a lock as well, as well as Jake Brent's lefty, big lefty had a really good year for him last year. And Amir Garrett, also a big lefty. I think they're both locks, both because they're lefties and because track record gives them uh, the shot. And they did trade something to get Amir Garrett. After that, things get a little more, we're not really sure. We'll see. Mike really pushed hard to get Kowar into this bullpen. And so we have Jackson Kowar as the next guy in this bullpen. Mike, you want to explain why you think he might yeah. do well in a bullpen role? Well, no, here's here's what I want to say about that first. I push hard for him to be there because I think one of those guys is going to be put in the bullpen role, whether it's Kowar or Hernandez or possibly, I would put Kowar or Hernandez as the likely two that's going to, that are going to end up in that bullpen. But Bubich could also be there if you want to think of him more as the role he took, he did last year for, for a while he was in the bullpen last year, but yeah, I think I'm not saying, Oh, well, they're going to be an eighth inning guy or anything like that. I think you're going to see the, whichever one of those three that ends up in the bullpen is going to end up in that long role and not just like a necessarily a, Hey, Keller gave up six in the first crap. We got to go to somebody. I think it'll be more, it could be more managed than that. It could be a situation where like, Hey, like a tandem start. We know we're going to, we're not going to pitch, you know, singer, seven innings today we just want him to do three and uh the hernandez or kowar will piggyback that um so i think they're going to stick one of those guys on the roster for that reason alone and so that's why i put kowar in there uh okay and, it, and I, you could you could easily swap him and hernandez or him and bubich i think it's or him and lynch i mean really those, those lynch, four guys are gonna yeah mm-hmm. um Beyond Kowar, I think we're going to go with Taylor Clark. He he was an offseason signing. They gave him a million dollars. They gave him a million major league contract. I think he's looked good so far in spring training. Yes, I think his yeah. I think he will uh, he'll be in this bullpen as well. After that, we had questions about who's going to get those last two spots. We gave them to Domingo Tapia and Joel Payomps because they both did pretty well for the Royals last year. And options forty man stuff means it's probably best to sort of put them in there. Brad Han- or Brad Peacock could have been a, a choice in there. We don't. I don't think he's going to make it. He hasn't pitched well. He'd have to be added to the forty-man roster. I see uh, Tapia and Payomps as the final two guys to make that bullpen. On the position player side, we projected thirteen position players. This is as many as you would typically have on a roster when the rosters are twenty-six men. Uh, but we're going to project it the same with the twenty-eight because we think all those extra spots are going to go to pitchers to sort of get guys through the beginning of the year. Uh, we're going to move sort of around the diamond and not as in a lineup. So it'll start at catcher. Obviously, Salvi's a lock at catcher. We think Cam Gallagher is a lock at catcher, unless they trade him or something like that. He is a very good backup catcher. Nobody's really pushing him for that job. Uh, Carlos Santana, we didn't put a lock on him. We're not saying he's a lock, but he's probably going to make it at first base unless they trade him. That's really the only uh, scenario in which we see him not making the opening day roster. Nicky Lopez at second. That's a lock. Uh, Alberto Mondesi is a locket short if he's healthy going into the into the year. We think he's going to be a locket short, and I think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be a lock at third base. He's played so well; they are they've nothing done nothing but signal that he's going to start opening day at third base. Mike, what do you think of that infield and how the sort of it's shaken out? I think defensively, I think it looks really really good. Um, watching uh, Mondesi and Bobby Witt Jr. I saw a play Mondesi made a backhand play in the hole kind of, and then threw it to first, but it was a ball. I'd go, Ooh, I think Bobby Witt Jr. has got to take that. But the good thing was they were both there to make the play. Either one of them could have made the play. And you're like, wow, that was, this is, this could be something where you get a lot of range on that left side. And then Nicky Lopez, who can play a gold glove, second base, I think a legit gold glove, second base, what gold glove used to be. 
Uh, and uh, <laughs> not of the sham it's turned the into sham they, they've turned it into. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's going to be a really exciting thing for really exciting infield for me. And there's some power in that infield. So I like that. It's going to be real tough to get a ball through the infield in Kansas city, which I love. Um, and so you're going to see some just amazing plays out there from that infield in the outfield. We're going to call left field a lock with Andrew Benintendi. We're going to call center field a lock with Michael A. Taylor. Those two guys, uh, Benintendi is just, played too well last year and Taylor just got the, the extension. So, you know, those two are going to be there. Taylor, a great center fielder, right field, obviously a lock with Whit Merrifield. It looks like a really set outfield at this point. Uh, we're calling Hunter Dozier a, a lock at DH. We think that's where he's going to play most of the time. He will rotate in at right field, probably some left field, maybe some third base and first base, but we think he's a lock to make the team. After that is when we have three spots open where we're not 100% sure, but we think that these three guys are going to make it. That is Emmanuel Rivera at third base. He makes it because he can play third and first, and he's on the 40-man roster. So they don't have to change stuff Plus- up or fit a cramp and he's played well. I don't want to play. Really. Yeah, there we go. That's the other thing I was going to say. He's, the guy hit well in the very limited time he had last year and he's hit well so far. What else? You know, he's also, he he's also not a defensive liability. That's what the really worries the, the Royals is defensive liabilities. He's not that he's a good third baseman. He's going to be fine over there and he'll put a good at bat together for you. And so I think he's going to make the roster. Uh, we did put Edward Olivares as making the roster on this thing. And let me explain the reasoning behind that. Again, it's typically about who's on the 40 man roster for this team because their 40 man roster is so full. They don't have like a lot of dead weight guys in there who they can cut off. Uh, yes, we know what you're saying, going to say. We're going to talk about him next. Um, <laughs> so we are projecting Edward Olivares to make it in the outfield. He has crushed the ball during spring training, just went out and he's raking. And so he has also, I think, looked a little bit better in the outfield. He does. He never looks great there, especially when they put him in center. But he he's athletic and he has looked a little bit better in the outfield. So we think he's going to make it as the fourth outfielder. And then Ryan O'Hearn is our final projected uh, roster spot. Yes, let's hear it. Ryan O'Hearn, we think he's going to make the team. Why? He's on the 40-man roster. The Royals seem to love him for some reason. He can theoretically play multiple positions. <laughs> uh, we have him listed as a first base right field DH. And so he's a left-handed bat off the bench. And I think that they kind of want that. Uh, Olivares and Rivera, they're both right-handed. They probably want a left-handed bat off the bench. So Ryan O'Hearn makes it. Now, when it comes down to it, he's also the most expendable spot when they want to bring up somebody else. I'm not sure they see it that way, though. I think they would see Rivera as the most expendable spot because O'Hearn is left-handed. You have multiple guys that can play third base. You know, you can take Whit Merrifield and bring him and play second, and Nicky Lopez can go play third. Or, you know, so I think I, – I don't think they think Ryan O'Hearn is the most expendable. I think a lot of us do because we've seen him try and hit major league pitching over the last few years, but I don't think the Royals see it that way. Yeah. Also, I don't think O'Hearn has any options left, whereas Rivera, I think, does. And so, and Olivares, I don't know, does either, honestly. And so, <laughs> and the uh, sad thing is, last year only counted as one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> last year did only count as one. He either has none left or he only has one left. And so, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with him, um, but I don't think O'Hearn has any left. And so, you're right. They may view him as less expendable because of that. At some point, it's going to come down to it. They have to they have to do something to get Bobby Witt Jr. on the 40-man before the season starts. That might be moving Jonathan Boland to the to uh, the 60-day IL. That might be, you know, cutting a reliever of some sort. But they have to do something to get Bobby Witt Jr. on the roster or on the 40-man. That might mean cutting O'Hearn before the season even starts. But if they don't do that, we expect them to make it. And that sort of serves as a placeholder for the next person they want to cut or 
something because the, the 40-man is just so full right now. And if the Royals are – if they were smart, I would think they're still exploring some trade possibilities to free up some 40-man roster positions, um, whether that's trading one of your bullpen pieces or doing something like trading a guy like Benintendi or trading a Carlos Santana. Um, you know, you're probably not going to get a whole lot for those guys, but it gives you space. It frees up not, not just space on the 40 man roster. You know, you solve your Kyle Isbell problem. If you trade Andrew Benintendi, you know, you solve your Nick Prado problem. If if you trade Carlos Santana, so, you know, a package of guys or something, I don't know, but But you do hurt hurt your depth, right? Maybe not at first base at first base. If you trade Carlos Santana, you're not really hurt for depth because, and then you, know, you have Nick Prado they, they and don't have much. a yeah, ton of guys can play first base in left field with Andrew Benintendi. You do hurt your depth if you, if you trade him. And so maybe they have Isbell there. He gets hurt. Ooh, then they got to play Olivares. Oh, then they got to play, you know, Ryan O'Hearn in right field sometimes or Hunter Dozier, right. You know? And so I understand their sort of this desire to hold that depth. I understand their desire not to trade away Benintendi because they probably think he's going to do well this year or something, but the first base thing I still don't get. And like, we'll see what that ultimately ends up happening there. But as we projected right now, Carlos Santana, Ryan O'Hearn, they're going to make the team. They're going to be on the roster. We'll end this week's episode. Like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment, where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Some people love this segment. Don't, I've never heard anybody say they hate this segment. So we're going to keep doing it until somebody does. Actually, we'll still keep doing it. After, if somebody says they hate it, I don't really don't care. Um, and so Mike, what's interesting to you outside the world of baseball this week? Well, you, you took mine, so uh, I took yours. Well, yeah, I, get I was going to gonna do. That I one. write the outline, so I get to take whatever I want. Way to go! All right, but uh, you and I have actually been discussing this, Puerto Rico. Okay, I I am fascinated by the island of Puerto Rico and the wonderful things and culture there. And I've been there when on vacation there, my wife and I a little while, a couple of years ago now. Great, great place, but it's in the United States, and so you get to go there and experience what feels like a different country at sometimes, you know, at points without some of the difficulties of a different country. You're still spending U.S. dollars. Most of the people still speak English, at least a little bit. You know, you same driving rules, no passport needed. It, it's just really a cool place. There's different spots. You know, San Juan, that's not where I is the, their capital city. Um, that's not where I spent most of my time. Um, but there are other cities there that I highly recommend going to. San Juan's okay. It's just very crowded. But yeah, it, Puerto Rico seems like a great place. And, you know, when we, we, you and I have been talking about, well, when you retire, where would you like to go? I would like to go to Puerto Rico just because the weather is so great and the people are super nice. And yeah, it was just really awesome. And I've been dream, kind of dreaming. I like to dream about like, ah, if I could go live on the beach somewhere, where would I go? And I always go back to Puerto Rico. So that's what yeah, Puerto Rico about. seems like a great place. I've always wanted to go. I will go at some point. I'm sure uh, I'm just hurricanes. I worry about hurricanes. I'm a hurricane <laughs> fear based hurricane, person. Hurricane phobe over here. Yeah, I yeah. really am. So I don't want to get hit by a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. And I get that. Well, it's what a lunatic I am. I don't want to die in a hurricane. That, <laughs> most of the bases they build there are made of like solid concrete. And so, your safety a lot of times isn't the thing. It's the infrastructure stuff that goes down. So like you lose electricity for two weeks. You, you know, you got to be able to figure out how you're going to get water, stuff like that. Now, when you live in like the large condo complexes, they take care of that stuff for you. They have giant cisterns, they have generators, stuff like that. 
if you live like in your own home in Puerto Rico, you then have to have your own cistern, you know, you have to have your own uh, generators, things like that. But yeah, it just, it's, it's a great place. I highly recommend visiting if you've never been. I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, the thing that I took from you, the, the topic that I took from you is one that happened yesterday, and that is Northwest Missouri State Bearcats won the Division II National Champion Basketball for a third straight year. Let's just set the alarm to that. It happens every year. What, we celebrate Yee. this. It's, it's just something we do. Hey, yeah. I celebrate every win, baby. Um, That's right. So I'm yeah, wearing Northwest my Northwest Missouri hoodie State. right now, actually. Mike and I are both Northwest Missouri State alums. We grew up in Maryville, which is where Northwest Missouri State University is. We love the Bearcats, football, baseball, all their sports. We love them all. Yeah. What's interesting is they I was thinking about this. Much better. They had an improved women's team this year, too. Yeah, uh, I know. I saw Austin that. Meyer, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great, great, uh, great women's athletics programs in general there. I mean, mm-hmm. um, their tennis so, teams are always phenomenal. Yeah. And so uh, what's great about Northwest and, and, and the thing that I was thinking about yesterday is the job that Ben McCollum has done there with their basketball program is phenomenal. It's just insane. It's, it, it's crazy. The turnaround, when we went to school there, basketball, men's basketball was really a second tier thing. They were not great. They were okay. They were usually floated around 500 and stuff like that, or they, they they'd have a great year and they'd make the tournament. Yeah. I think they got to the elite eight once when we were kids or just getting into college i can't remember something like that but they were definitely outshined by the football team northwest was seen as a football school as they sort of went to a number of national championships they won a few they were really really good in football and it was seen as like well they're great football but basketball and you know everybody sort of tuned it out and then ben mccollum comes in and the job i can't i can't believe it it's like it's a level of dominance and dynasty building that you just haven't seen at the division two level and you haven't seen really at the division one level since what I don't know. I can't think. Maybe John yeah. Wooden. I don't know. Like, just say, UCLA, John Wooden. Them UCLA, things, right. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, it's really incredible. And a thing that should definitely be talked about and praised to win three national championships in a row is incredible. To win four in five in the, over the last five is incredible. He's also won 10 conference titles since he's been you there. You know what's insane, too? Just it, would, it would probably be five of six if COVID hadn't canceled that 2020 year. Because they yeah. were that 2020 team might have been the best one they ever had. Um, <laughs> such a he, good team. And one of those years they want, they went undefeated too. Like they won 37 and O or something like something crazy yeah. when you count the tournament games as well. It's like, my gosh. And you see players sometimes from Northwest, like that guy who went from Northwest to Creighton, Ryan leads Hawkins, Creighton yeah. all the way to like the, what, not the sweet 16, <laughs> at least the round of 32, I think. And so, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, it's incredible to see the level of talent that he's drawing to this school, which was seen as a football school, not a basketball school, drawing this huge level of talent. But what's more important is he's maximizing that talent. He's getting as much as he can out of them. And that's what really turns programs around. When you're not a great school or not a great program for for something, you can't recruit the best kids. What you have to do is maximize the ones you do get. And that's what Ben McCollum has actually done. He's maximized the talent that comes in there. And then he wins a few natties. Now it's easier to get better players in there, you know, bring them to a small ass town like Maryville, Missouri and say like, Hey, come here and play basketball. There's nothing to do here, but come here anyway. And, and you know, it's crazy that it kind of all started with a kid named Justin Pitts from, I think he's from blue Springs undersized guard that had next to no attention and McCollum recruits in Northwest. And he was like the division two player of the that's, year. That's just what he's doing. Killing. He, and then he, he went and got these... another guy just like that, who might've been even slightly better uh, with the kid that, that just uh, I'm blanking on his name. Now. Trevor Hudgens, Trevor Hudgens. Yes. Unbelievable. Manhattan, Kansas, undersized guard. That's what he's doing. He's getting undersized guards in the sort of quad state in the, you know, Kansas city and its surrounding area. You know, he's, he's 
recruiting this area very, very well and turning those guys and saying like, I don't care that you're not six, four, six, five, come here. You're going to lead our offense. And they do a fantastic job at it. These guys end up like Trevor Hudgens just broke the MIAA scoring record in that final and just what an amazing career he's had. And so, yeah, fantastic. The crazy thing is Northwest Missouri State. All every one of those kids that started for them last night was all from the, the quad state area. They were, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, or Kansas, every single one of them. And that's, that's where he gets the kids from, you know, Ryan Hawkins was an Iowa kid. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy. The only one that I can think of that was a big time player for them was the Joey with this kid who I think was a transfer from some school in Minnesota, but uh, yeah, he's gotten a lot of talent from this area and, and uh, heck let's, let's, he's going to move on at some point. (laughs) I think he, I I don't Um, think, I think he's got to, right. Like, uh, but uh, it's been a great ride and hopefully they can keep it going when he's gone. Yeah. So congratulations to Northwest Missouri State University Bearcat basketball team, men's basketball team. What a wonderful season. What a great ride it's been so far. We'll see if it keeps going. Same goes for the Kansas City Royals, who will continue to play spring training games. And we'll bring you another episode next week to review those, talk more about what we're seeing in spring training, and hopefully celebrate some Royals wins. Until then, be good to each other and go Royals. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.